Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. One moment. Can everyone hear me? Yes, sir. I am not able to look at the board, so I'm not going to know who is um, who's on the um, call. Shalom, brother Shedrick. Shalom, brother. Shalom, brother. Anyone else? Shalom, Brother Kezikov. Shalom. Shalom, Brother Robert. Shalom, Brother. Shalom, Brother Hakeem. Shalom. Shalom, Mark Bernard. Shalom. Brother Kedrick. I mean, I'm sorry, Brother Shedrick. Um, you heard about this student, the uh, police incident. The student police incident? Yeah. Uh, no. Can you be a little bit more specific? Um, police officer <clears throat> stopped a Georgia student. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. Um, the two uh, cops got they uh, basically got they got fired and not a uh, uh, wonder now if there's going to be criminal uh, charges um, pressed against the guy uh, against the uh, two cops. Did you see the video of it? Yeah, it was kind of bad, brother. They showed it. The one they showed, I think, actually they showed two was one from a guy who just so happened to just be recording it. And they showed, the uh, actually it was two people recording it. The first one they showed was like from across the street. And then that one, they showed the guy, they showed the car run up to the guy. He made the guy get out of his car, uh, hold his hands up, and you punched the guy like square in his face. And then you got him on the ground. The next video they showed, um, the guy was on the ground. The cops, you know, had done. The first cop already had him app- apprehended. He was already down on the ground, face down. And then the second cop came and you kicked the guy square in his face. Literally, you stumped him in his face. Yeah. Did they say the reason for um, why they did this? <laughs> no, but. What's really interesting is that um, the chief 
of the chief of the department stated that when they got the report, they put in a report that they apprehended the, uh, the guy. What the chief also mentioned was that what was omitted from the report was that they kicked and they punched the guy. They didn't put that in there. So um, they basically, that was why they were fired. He said, because that's not going to be tolerated. You know, after the guy was already on the uh, ground apprehended, that was where it should have stopped. He said he was disgusted, he was embarrassed, and that um, he, you know, he was pretty sorry, you know, for what had happened, but he also got fired for lying. Um, but the one guy, I think one of the cops, he stated that, um, I think he was saying, actually, I think he had a run-in with one of the cops earlier or something like that, and one of the cops that he had to run in with also um, uh, had you know, some issues beforehand. I think they had already had some issues beforehand. So, yeah, that case was really, um, it was really bad. <clears throat> what kind of issues are are they are they trying to say that they had with this guy? I mean, what I think, is it um, well, with the the young kid, I don't really know what the history is between the officer and the uh, kid. But the officer, I think he, I think it was being alleged that um, he had history of um, harassing folks or something like that, I can't necessarily remember. Because when I first saw the news, uh, which was like maybe about three, four days ago maybe, that was what, you know, they showed all of that in that one segment. So uh, it wasn't really much that I actually caught except what I had seen, you know, on uh, Facebook media. But when I saw the news, that's basically what was being talked about. It. I think they're being investigated now. Um, they're being investigated right now, and now they're trying to determine whether or not there's going to be uh, criminal charges to be pressed. Then there's the Negro that assassinated murdered the elder mm. on Facebook. You know anything about that? Yeah. Um the guy said he just spazzed out over some girl. Um over some woman. I'm not sure the nature of what actually happened between him and um the the young lady, but he was just like he just got tired of proving himself you know, the people, you know, and all this other different stuff. And it's just like, I'm just going to kill until they stop me. You know, he said, you know, people were texting him, texting him saying, yo, like, call me. You know, this is not you. Like, what's wrong? You need to talk to us. And he was just kind of like, you can tell he was out of it. He, He was, it was like there was no remorse. It was no... No worryation, no nothing. He was just, he wasn't there. It was almost like watching the shell of a person who, you know, just was there. Even though I don't know what that brother was like beforehand, so maybe he already had, you know, a lot of personal demons he was dealing with. But he, he said he just snapped. He said that he killed maybe 14 people, 
Um, and he post he posted the address of where the bodies may be stashed, but you know we haven't seen anything yet posted. Um, but as of now, it stated that he killed himself just recently. They uh, the cops just announced that they found him dead uh, in a car. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is happening during Passover season. Um, because it looks like the spirit of the angel of death is is out. I'm outside, by the way, for a moment in, in the backyard. But um, <clears throat> so excuse the background noise. Um, it's a spirit that's on these people. But um, brother, do, are you familiar with? Dr. Francis, her works? Um, not, uh, not intimately. Let me, well, I'll say it in a way of, no, I've never really followed Francis Crest Welting. I've seen clips and stuff of her work being presented in different documentaries. And from what I've been able to see, I, I thought that the sister was, she, uh, I know she was on Phil Donahue. I, I remember her being on Phil Donahue like a long time ago. Of course, I was too young to remember. That's why they got YouTube. Um, she was on there, um, and she she defended herself very, very respectively, uh, going you know contending against you know uh, a great uh, daytime talk show host who you know just seems to be um, very spontaneous with you know, how he says things, I think she, you know, delivers her arguments um, for her thesis very well. I thought she was very, very, um, a very interesting woman. But, like, just all of her work, no, just, you know, just some of her um, uh, certain things that she's presented, um, like about men um, and their behaviors, uh, why they do certain different things, and so on and so forth. And I yield. Brother Robert, are you familiar with her works? Um, yes, I'm about the same amount as uh Brother Shedrick indicated. Um I heard uh I used to hear about uh uh her comparisons between uh the genetics between uh would be classed as the blacks and the whites and uh, the uh, comparisons between the two. That's pretty much all I've been able to uh, counter about the the system. Okay, Brother Kedrick, what about you? On a a number of occasions, um, played her uh, ISIS paper lecture. Uh, a number of times over the years, which is uh, listed on YouTube. The whole full lecture is on YouTube. That's her most significant work. Um, I think most people are are aware of that. Uh, Is there anybody on the line that that knows a lot about Dr. Dr. Francis' work 
uh, Shalom, Zach Bernard, Prophet Judah. I wouldn't say I know a lot, just like the other brothers. I, I am aware of the uh, ISIS papers, and I know that um, she's have, she has done a lot of interviews, in particular her topic of racism, white supremacy. Um, the same with Neely Fuller Jr. I think she does a, a phenomenal job of explaining racism, white supremacy, and how it's a system um, that's utilized for our, you know, to take advantage of a particular people. And then, um, you know, I think if you listen to it on YouTube, I, I heard it on the Internet probably like two months ago. I go back every now and then to listen. But uh, just like with Neely and uh, in her, they break it down real well, but they just don't include uh, the most high aspect of it as far as us being the children of Israel and our disobedience. But as far as the Europeans and the system that they put in place um, and, and monopolizing on it, she goes really in-depth, and she has done debates with other uh, Europeans, and she demolishes all of them. So uh, that's about what the knowledge that I have, and I yield. Well, I'm asking about this um because I really felt like this is this is the leading class of the nation, and um, I really felt like we needed to review this today. Um, I I have some security issues with the university that I'm trying to address, and. Um, I couldn't post the things that I wanted to post. But nonetheless, Dr. Francis basically says white supremacy is genetic. Uh, It's white genetic survival. So from a natural point of view, they realized that they were genetically recessive. And so in order to survive, um, they point out the genetic dominant as the enemy. Uh, Robert, are you familiar with that part of what she says? Uh, Gingerly. um, I remember coming across, like, uh, listening to something on uh, YouTube in regards to it. Um, she touched on it. It was some years back, though. So, yes, sir. So, because they're genetically obsessive, according to her theory, she's a uh, psychiatrist, or she was a psychiatrist. Because of their, their genetically recessive, they view the Negro man as dominant, as an enemy, as a threat to their uh, very existence. So whenever they come in contact in any kind of way with us, be be it a young man, older man, they view us as the enemy genetically. And 
they they feel as though their life is in danger. And they consider our genitalia to be an a weapon. And so because they have because we have uh the dominant gene and our genitalia uh produces dominant genes, they consider it to be a weapon, so this allows them to use their weapons on us. Um, Brother Kedrick, what do you think about that? Now that you mention it, when you look at the the violence that the... uh, people that the police um, put upon a Negro when they seize him, if all of that begins to make sense. Because if you watch these, these um, well, we've all seen these episodes in the news, you count the number of Caucasian officers against a single Negro male. And it's usually six to one. To me, that's an that's a that's an attack. That's an outright first class attack with the purpose and intent, whether it's spoken or not, to do serious bodily harm. Um, that's that's basically how I see it, sir. How you? You know, what's interesting to me is that what happened to this student really is no different than what happened to Rodney King. And um, as I look at this from a natural law perspective, nature will produce a natural law enemy. And there are some creatures in nature that that have natural law predators. So it could be a cat to a mouse. Um, lions and hyenas are natural enemies and um, whatever. But in examining as Neely Fuller Jr. has and Dr. Francis Cress Welsing has white supremacy, it's like Bernard said, it's like they don't speak on they don't speak on the most the aspect of the most high. And um, as I'm looking at this, I, I can tell you in comparison to when I was growing up in Detroit. Look, if they're, they're, Detroit is segregated in kind of like a square. So 
the north side of Detroit is Chaldeans. Um, the west side of Detroit, well, the southwest is all Latinos. The center of Detroit is all Negroes. Um, the Caucasians are outside of the square. Well, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. The east side of the square of Detroit is Chaldean. The deep east is all Negroes, but just like there, you go into the neighborhoods and they're just they're segregated, which is natural. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it because people gravitate towards their own. But in Detroit, it's it's uh it's really a racial tension, underlying racial tension in that way. But everybody comes comes into the city from all different nationalities and they get along. But here's what we all knew growing up. You could not date a Chaldean girl. If you this was the the, the myth going around. Uh if you date a Chaldean girl, all her family come and and beat you up. And I'm saying this because you got to understand, compare this to Caucasians ganging up on Negroes as police. The legend is if you date a Chaldean girl, they're going to all come looking for you and beat you up. I heard the same story over and over and over and over pertaining to Chaldean guys yeah, man, such and such was dating his, his uh, Chaldean's uh, sister, and his brothers and cousins and uncles all got in a van with baseball bats and chains and rode up on him and beat him up. Now, I heard this, so many people telling this legend. I never saw it, but I heard it time and time and time again. And one thing I want to say, if Negroes stuck together, believe me, it would be easier for us to defend ourselves and stop this police brutality and these police murders because they know their strength in numbers. But for the most part, you always see them killing unarmed, defenseless, single Negroes. You never hear them killing groups of Negroes. And that's how we got to start thinking. But it's just our people in general are marked for death. Anytime you do not unify. And as savage as these niggas are, they were looked upon by other cultures in that way. And because no matter how hard you try, if you're really honest, you can look at the Negro and see 
all of the disunity and the heinous savage behavior that we have today. Brother Kendrick, do you remember the time, like I, I believe maybe Bernard might remember and Brother Kendrick, do you remember the time where our communities were not like they are today, where our communities were peaceful and loving? Do you remember that time? Oh, oh definitely, sir. Definitely. When I, when I was growing up in the, in the mid-50s and the early 60s, all the way up to, yeah, I would say about the mid-60s, when, that's 68 when they killed um, Malcolm. That's when it began to change, as, as far as I could see. But prior to that, yeah, we lived in peaceful neighborhoods. I mean, I grew up in the projects. We ain't never had that much violence. You know, I go back to the old neighborhood now, and they done throw niggas off, off an 18-story building. Yeah. Do you remember that time, Brother Bernard? Shalom. I, you know, I, I was born in 67. And uh, in Louisiana, you know, it was such a, uh, it, that's when you got to experience what a community really was like. Everybody shared food. You could go next door and eat it at your relative's house or your friend's house. You had, you, you played like friends. Uh, the community had love for one another. If you if you ran out of food, you somebody went to the grocery store and bought you some eggs. And even my my family, we moved to uh, Detroit, Michigan, in uh, the late '70s. So I used to stay on Yellowstone and uh, and White Chicago Street. And they, even with the gangs, the M and M's and the Earl Flynn's, even with the gangs, uh, if you brought out weapons, they would tell you to put the weapons down and fight with your fists. <laughs> you know. So, you know, the, the the times have definitely changed. Um, you know, when I went to UW uh, and I was a psych major, uh, this word sadist, uh, you, you brothers should look it up. And that's what majority of the police officers are. They love, they get enjoyment out of inflicting pain on us. And you know, without that badge, they they some whimpering cowards. But they and they, in in reality. You know, they actually waiting for us to, to unite again. And I remember just reflecting on your question, uh, how the uh, Black Panthers had the breakfast programs, how they protected the communities. Uh, you didn't, you didn't, you couldn't come in the community and, 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 and try to do something wicked. You were, you were going to get dealt with. So, you know, there's no, there's no more communities. Those are, they've been destroyed. I yield. In the whole spirit has been destroyed. It was like that in my life. I mean, I I actually remember the community love. And yeah, you I remember my mother cooking for people in the community. Like my friends or you want something to eat, um, you know. And I remember the neighbors cooking for um me and my sisters and so I know that it can be done because we we were living that way. But when we had Caucasians doing the same brutalization and murders of us, then we were together and we didn't have to worry about one moment, please. 
We didn't have to worry about, uh, yeah, in the gangs. Yeah, they would tell you back then. Um, we had the Earl Flynn's, the M&M's. Um, then it came Seven Mile, Eight Mile, Six Mile Gangs. Um, YBI, they were the drug dealers, but uh, those gangs, would, the, the, the things that I remember from the gangs is if somebody had a, a, a weapon, it was rare. You know, even they didn't even use knives in, in gang banging. They didn't even use knives. And they would tell you, man, put the, put the weapon down and, and square up. You know, you're a coward. Put your weapon down. You, you, can't, you can't throw those hands, then you ain't nobody. So they would also tell you gangs would not let – the gangs were, were more like community police because they were, they were really protecting a lot of territories. And I remember they wouldn't let you disrespect your parents. They definitely wouldn't let you disrespect your mother or talk back to elders. The gangs would step in and, and, and have some words with you. Now, we ab- abandoned those principles, just all out abandoned them. Now, what made that happen? I'm not addressing that issue, but it's it's here now. And our people are all out savage. We don't stick together when situations like what went on with this student um, occur. And it just kind of moved me to the point of remembering what those that came before us stood for. If it wasn't for, I really have to give credit to Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad for instilling in our people love. Because when I look at it, from my, from my observational eye, um, Elijah Muhammad died in 1975. During his whole life, we slowly grew into loving ourselves again. So as he died, here come gangs. After the Black Panthers, here come gangs. Here come broken homes. Here comes self-hate all over again. And it wasn't very long after he died that that just took us over. But you had the Black Panthers, the Nation of Islam. They were really um, influential in doing positive things. And it's clear to me we got to spread this message. What better message than you are the chosen people of God Almighty? That's number one. And, of course, there's other groups, Hebrews, that are doing that, but they're not. What are they doing? Brother Kendrick, what what are they doing? Really? They're out on the block every day, but what are they doing for their community? 
I don't see anything, Chris. I mean, they making it worse by propagating that line, the white man is the devil. And so all of that is doing is just raising the fear level and the animosity level. But there's nothing constructive. There's no community outreach. There's no uh, child daycare on a mass scale. It's like and no no morning food programs like there used to be with when the Panthers did it. It's all it's all it's all kind of different now. But um, it's more controlled by the by the institutions and whatever they get for nonprofits and whatever the city municipal governments provide. But um, basically, the word. And the community level activity is is part of is is just that wretchedness. I'm 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 really at a loss for words to describe it, but I know it when I see it. But you know, it's it's just not good. Uh, yeah. Well, who was that? Salam, Sai Bernard. Go right here, brother. Salam. Uh, I was wondering if the nation do, anybody remember when uh, Nathaniel, he had, uh, I think it was either YouTube, I mean, not YouTube, but either Facebook, he had did a post talking about um, your right to self-defense against the police officer, police officers. It was plumber versus state. And, um, you know, there needs to be a, a universal training of brothers and sisters learning that that, that statute and um, the Young Turks, the, that, that, that news media outlet, the Young Turks, they actually had on Facebook like two days ago, they did a comparison of other countries versus the United States police officers, and they show in other countries how in other countries, they do not shoot people down in the streets like they do us here in the U.S. They actually have a tra- – they train these officers here to, sh- to shoot first, kill first, and let's see how we can get away with it, you know. So, And they, was, they were uh, comparing to, like, Norway and Sweden and all these other countries and killing – pulling their gun out is like the last thing. They'll taser you or, or rubber bullets. But here in the U.S., you know, they – they, they definitely for for Israelites. They're trying to kill us. But Brother Nathaniel had did a post that was um, plumber versus state, and our right to self defense against these police officers. There needs to be like a universal training collectively. So any of the, uh, any of these crooked cops come around, uh, nobody running. You know. So I, I just want to say that, not you. Yeah, man. Brother Robert, what do you what do you see? I mean, this makes no sense to me. I'm trying to compute this, and I'm trying to really figure this out. Hebrew Israelites on the streets all the time. Do you see them doing anything to out, to actually reach out to the communities and defend the communities or educate the communities, and other than just the the doctrine? 
Yeah, brother. Uh, you know what's so crazy? Um, <clears throat> I think in Detroit, uh, I think there's a group out there. I'm not sure. I can't remember that name offhand. I think it's a uh, new era, or it's supposed to be. I think it's uh, one of the factions, the Black Panther Party. Uh, they were supposed to um, organize what you would call militias first in Detroit and trying to reestablish those type of programs indicated by the brothers, whether they're doing it properly and whether they're going to go ahead and, uh, uh, you know, expand it out. That's a, that's a whole nother thing. I haven't heard anything recently from them, but uh, there was a faction of the Black Panthers that was out there that was supposed to be protecting uh, the communities first in the Detroit area, and then it was supposed to expand. So, um, but these Hebrew brothers, I mean, I, you know what? It's just the thing is that this is why, you know, tribes, Aboriginal nations is much needed because uh, of what our objective is in terms of self-government, uh, being able to uh, utilize the things that's involved with self-government, in particular being able to establish a security force. I mean, because if you go like over, I know over here, and I know Kedrick would know. I think in Brooklyn it is uh, the Hasidic Jews, Jewish community. They have their own police force. So you know, this is something that um, the um, our, our brothers and sisters with those particular factions of the Hebrew movement need to definitely look at and establish it. But if they don't understand how to properly establish it and to how, how to utilize the, uh, you know, the entities to be able to make it happen, um, I don't see anything that they're going to be able to do other than become like domestic terrorists or things of that capacity. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely an issue. Um, that needs to definitely be uh, put forth on the table, and it is definitely something that needs our attention. Not you, brother. Is Lynn on the line? Con. I didn't know you were there, brother. What are your thoughts, brother? My thoughts on how the said Hebrew Israelites are uh, contributing or or detracting from the condition of our people? Is that the question, sir? Well, uh, are they actually doing things to help? Yeah, to, to help defend and properly educate. Uh, you know, I, I would have to say from my experience you know, both as a, just as an observer and uh, as far as interacting with them, you know, to some limited degree, I really feel like, you know, I I, I try not to talk negative about our brothers and sisters because to some degree, um, you know, they are, you know, at at least I, I see them trying to, um, to the to the limited capacity that they can, I see them um, somewhat uh, fact checking and doing some corrections as far as you know who we are by nationality and 
you know, things of that nature. But, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is, is, um, you know, I just don't see their message as a means of delivering our people. And, you know, that to me, that's the, you know, that's the ultimate litmus test as far as, you know, are you a benefit or a detriment? You know, to me, it's almost like um, what they're pushing is just another flavor of idolatry. And I just see it really as, uh, I will say, uh, Christianity light, so to speak. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, I mean, you got to, certain things that, you know, have to be in place that are a requirement of all peoples on, on the planet. You need food, clothing, shelter, and you need defense. And, you know, for most of these Hebrew Israelites, you know, they're they're waiting on the Mashiach to come back for that, <laughs> you know, because they feel like that's, um, you know, as far as I can tell, they feel like, uh, you know, they're pretty much in a, they're they're in a holding pattern until that occurs. So, you know, the the unfortunate thing is, is that I think a lot of them feel as though um, they really are making a difference. But, you know, the the rhetoric, uh, the, the the tone, uh, the means in which, um, you know, they deliver the message in a lot of ways. To me, it just it denotes that. You know, even with having some of the information, it still hasn't done enough to reformulate the the mode of thinking. You know, um, and I think it just to me it just underscores the fact that uh, you know it's just a it's just a um, a monumental blessing you know to be around a body of people that actually have a clue. I mean, even even more so than a clue, but just being able to apply to apply, you know, this thing practically to be able to understand that, you know, there's some actual um, effort, you know, that you have to put forth, forth, um, you know, to to free yourself of these bonds. I mean, it's nothing that it's nothing you got to wait on. You know, it's, it has everything to do with. Um, you know, being incentivized and and you know doing something that we haven't done in a in a very long time collectively, and that's you know really having a, a desire um, to get out here and and do what everybody else is doing on the planet, <laughs> which is uh, to some greater or lesser degree, which is self governing. So I yield. Uncle Robert, uh, you mentioned the Jewish police. What, what do they do? They have a what they call themselves by a particular name. Uh, yeah, I would have to look it up. I have an article actually on it um, that talks about it. I forget their exact name, but yeah, they they are an actual police force uh, in their particular neighborhood. I could try to go see if I could uh, pick it up. Would you want me to pick it up, brother, so I can read it to the uh, relatives? Yes, sir, please. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, as I'm uh, reflecting upon 
the life of um, Dr. Francis, and it really hurt me deeply. Uh, I understand it, but it still bothers me. But it hurt me really deeply to see this student step out of his car with his hands up, and all of a sudden this police officer just elbows him in the face. And it's like, from that particular clip, that was all I saw. But it's like, what is this about? And um, when I look at it, I'm saying, I'm looking through the eyes of law saying, these young men have no fathers. These young women have no fathers. They're taught in a large degree to hate image of a real man. There's no discipline in our homes anymore, no standard of manhood or womanhood taught to our offspring. I mean, we might do it here, but our people largely don't do that. And um, I want to hopefully say that we have enough competent people here that we can do something to take action, and one of those things we can do is um, even we're doing the Fishers of Men program, but um, outreach program, which can in some ways um, address these things, but uh, we need to go out and really help spread some information. Um, policing your own community first, and how we can help. Now, now in, in Detroit, I'm not sure if this is the same group that Brother Robert was talking about, but I was um, actively attending the Black Panther Nation, New Marcus Garvey movement. And what drew me to it is, like, I love the Panthers and I love Marcus Garvey. And my the camp I came from was dissipated, so they drew me to them. And the the leader, um, Minister Malik Shabazz, um, I developed a very good relationship with him, a very good friendship with him. And um, he is connected with Malik Zulu Shabazz, attorney Malik Zulu Shabazz. Um, Minister Malik, he pronounces his name Malik. Zulu pronounces his name Malik. And they both named themselves after Malcolm, who was Malik Shabazz. But anyway, um, Attorney Malik Zulu, he was was the leader of the new Black Panther Party. But he stepped down. Um, Hold on one moment. I'm at the computer now, so I'm going to try to see where this noise is coming from. Somebody has noise. Take me a moment, though. I'm going to try to pull it up. But, um... Well, brief? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I got the article right here. Okay. Uh, hold on one moment, though, because there's some noise. Hold on. Okay. 
I'm going to put everybody on mute temporarily. What the heck is going on? Oh. Okay. I'm going to undo everybody one at a time. One moment. Okay, Brother Kedrick, it might be your phone. Oh, no, it's not Brother Kedrick. Well, can everybody just go on mute? Um, go ahead, Brother Robert. Okay, uh, you want me to read the article? Yes, sir. Okay, Um, not sure the correct pronunciation of the name. I think it's Shalvin are quasi-police services for Orthodox Jewish communities. And this was in the Daily News, uh, June 27th of 2016. It says, the word shamrim translates from Hebrew as watchers and guards and broadly means all Orthodox Jewish security patrols. Groups typically made up of volunteers who perform quasi-police services within their insular communities. In Brooklyn, they are most prominent in Williamsburg and Borough Park, both of which have long-standing Shalim groups. They often wear safety vests and carry police radios. Because of language and culture, cultural barriers, they often act as a bridge between the community and outsiders, including the police. Some Shalim groups receive government funding and have their own vehicles. Two Shalim groups actually got the city of New York to buy them full-fledged command vehicles for about $300,000 each. Uh, they are supposed to immediately call the police when a crime is reported to them. And that seems to be the article. Okay, Minister Malik Shabazz in Detroit organized the Detroit 300 and the Detroit 300 uh, are 300 men that to some degree were policing the neighborhoods of Detroit I don't uh, this is after I left Detroit so um, I don't know the depth of it. When I was there, he, he didn't have that involvement. He was just doing the um, Black Panther Nation, New Marcus Garvey movement. But the minister was in direct contact with Hugo Chavez. Um, he he has some contacts with uh, Minister Farrakhan. And... Um, he has a lot of influence and a and a lot of he's a, a highly visible man. Um, he speaks well. Um, he's unapologetic for loving our people, but he's shut down over two thousand crack houses in Detroit. He's um, always working to serve our people, and he's a good man. He. Um, 
one of the things that I really loved so much about being around him and the, and the, the Panthers and the, the, the Marcus Garveyites um, is that everybody was welcome there. Nobody was treated like, oh, you, you're a Hebrew or you're a Christian or you're a Muslim. Nobody was treated like that. And everybody knew that when you came there, you don't, you don't come with that type of attitude. When I last was in Detroit 2015, I went by the, uh, the Panther headquarters and it looked to be shut down. Um, and it had the big Panther on the front and, you know, Moors were welcome there. Hebrews, um, Dr. York people, uh, what do you call it? Oh, Nawapians. So we would all be there and it was never a problem. Never a problem. Um, when I did, um, the DVD movie or documentary, The Missing Link, The Matrix Unplugged, I released it 2006. And then September 11th, 2007, I went to the minister and asked to do a joint venture. And um, we did a joint venture and we did a screening of the DVD. And we had a very good turnout because he's on television. He's on local television in Detroit every Tuesday. And... Um, I re I just maybe the last couple of weeks started watching him on television again because on the Roku I have the Roku and you can see um, that the, the the Detroit Negro owned uh, station it's called WHPR and you can watch it live on um, on the Roku and I turned it on the last couple of weeks and it was a, it was really good to see him again I just physically saw him but. You know, um, he's he's always been a really loving brother, and um, I'm saying this because I'm thinking of we have people here that get it. We got a lot of things that we're doing. Um, we have the radio. We have the real estate. We have the forthcoming television um, but we're finally getting proficient in, in some of these areas. Like we're finally getting to the point where we can really start to do things through radio and branch out. And our, our radio audience is growing. Um, our visitations to the website, the radio website, in the last three months has quadrupled. Well, since since January, we were we started out earlier this year, only getting a few visitations per day. Um, it was like ten, twenty, thirty. We jumped from ten to twenty and thirty per day to about fifty a day, going into February and March. By the time we got to the end of March. Now we're averaging about 100 a day. We started off getting 
the last couple of months, we were getting like a, a 1,200 visits a month. Well, all of a sudden, we had a jump where we got 1,200 visits in 10 days. And then not only that, the, um, we've had 2,500 visits this month. Um, last month, we had 2,500 visits. The month before that, we had like 1,200 visits. But this month, we've already had 2,500 visits. It's continuing to grow. Now, this is going to give us to, the opportunity to spread out more messages. Um, we have, as I stated, well, hopefully some of you all will remember, but I'm going to say it again anyway. We were blessed by the Most High that we have uh, DJ, DJ Kasim, Stevie Kasim, who is a, uh, in his 50s, but he's also a martial artist. And he used to work in the music industry, and he um, managed groups and put out records with uh, major artists. And then we have an audio editor, Joe Ham, who wrote the theme songs for um, Bill Cosby, with a, a different world, and he worked on the theme song for the Cosby Show. And he has a lot of experience. And the radio is starting to really, it's already been flowing as far as uh, um, the news team going well, um, our interview team going well. We just had some stumps, some stumbling blocks in this audio editing, but we're clearing that up now, and we're really getting it going. Now we're just about to get back in the flow with the real estate group. We had a new help desk with the real estate group. This should be able to help that flow properly. So we got these few things under uh, control. Um, we just really uh, started to use the help desk for the real estate group this past week. But Kedrick, Brother Kedrick, can you explain uh, what are your thoughts about how we were, how this is going to work with our help desk for real estate? Yes, sir. Um, the help, the help desk software is uh, very easy to use. It's a very simplified um, flow. You get a call come in, or you get an email. If you're online, um, if you get an online contact, somebody contacts you online from there for the help desk. They go into one of the websites, they click on the uh, the chat, it comes up on your screen, and you start a dialogue with that person, whatever, answer whatever questions they may have, and um, you can escalate it to a, a ticket and send a message and email to the appropriate staff person personnel who can um, further investigate and research the, the subject matter requested by the uh, participant. It's a really good basic software. I mean, you can, it can be used, well, it is being used as our, our um, help desk software. But you can also, um, a third-party 
can also um, rent out space and use and use the software in conjunction, not in conjunction with us, but as a paying participant for their own help desk service. Like say, if you have an e-commerce website and you want you want to uh, your 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 uh, your help desk can be associated on, it can be an associate on our help desk software, which is like a way of making revenue for the nation, which is absolutely fantastic. But the software itself is real easy to use. It's not difficult at all. Not at all. I hear Praise the Lord. So that's an advancement that we're making. We got things going a whole lot better. Things for me have gotten, I don't know, I, I guess is I've, I've gotten so used to the grind and uh, being able to do website maintenance and everything. I've improved a lot in my understanding of it and how to solve problems in a more expedient manner. And I feel more confident um, because I, I unfortunately made the switch to um, from to WordPress, and I thought it was going to be easy because I had already had extensive background with um, website building, but it wasn't easy. I had to learn, and I was too deep in it to turn back around. So. I'm glad I stuck in there because now it's paying off. Um, it's paying off big time. Um, I was telling somebody say something. Oh, um, brother, I didn't mean to cut you off because I I knew I was going to say something, but I had my phone on mute. I'll wait till you finish, brother. I wanted to ask you a question. Go ahead, brother. Um, did you hear uh, about Kendrick Lamar, brother? No, sir. Oh, you didn't? Uh, Well, he just came out with a new album, and I thought I was going to bring it up a little bit earlier since you were talking about the radio station. He came up with a new album um, called Damn, and um, he wrote a song called Yah. Oh. And uh, in the song, brother, he admits that he's in Hebrew. He's a he's an Israelite. What? Oh my yeah, god! This has been like hot topic for like the last couple of days. Wow. Yeah, he uh, he he's like, I'm not no politician or something like that. Then he says. I'm an Israelite. I ain't don't. He was like, I'm an Israelite. Don't call me black no more. It's not even a fact no more. Oh. <laughs> and at the end of the song, I think he had a cousin of his or somebody was on the record. Literally, he had a recording of somebody at the end of the song saying, because uh, then he also mentioned uh, Deuteronomy 28. And then he was at the end of the song. He had his cousin who was talking about how the Negroes, the, uh, the Negroes, Native Americans, and Latinos are the true children of Israel. This is no lie. Mm, mm, mm. Kendrick Lamar. 
And I know what that means. That means it's going to start getting popular. Oh, yeah. None of those guys, the people that go into those camps, they're going to get disenchanted and leave out of those camps, and they're going to be looking for a home. Because when you go into those camps, you can't really stick around too long. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's hard, man, with that hatred that they have on them. But um, we praise the Lord for Brother Kendrick Lamar. He's um, he's a great artist, man. He he really is. I don't really listen to him. I've only heard a few of his songs, but I mean, just his he has some really abstract music that's just great. So praise the Lord. Um, but what what I'm thinking of is um. We have had this from the beginning, but kicking off um, with the Fishers and Men Outreach, it's really time to go out here and, and speak it to the public, not on the streets like that. I mean, we're putting people out on the streets to help the, the local um, communities as far as um Homeless people, um, clothing, canned goods, food, excuse me, shelters, those types of things, getting them off drugs, taking them to the right people. We've been in training for this, really, mental training, preparing us to get ready to really execute this thing. So it's really time to... uh, get out ahead of this thing. I know that Noah kept preaching the message to the day he walked onto that ark and closed those doors. He kept preaching it. And um, in this case, we my heart is real heavy from seeing this, the, the murders of our people. I know that it's coming. I know that the spirit of death is upon our people, but I still don't feel good about it, personally. I'm not cheering it on. I mean, I, I, I feel like a lot of stuff that happens to us, we deserve it that a lot of Negroes need to be put to death, but we need to be more conscious of why we're experiencing this, and we need to be more aware of uh, what we can do to remedy it. Because, you know what, it's going to come down to Hebrews moving in general, moving into actual government. And we are the head of this thing in the sense that we're the ones that have been talking this the whole time. You know, if anybody else is out here now talking about it, it's because they heard it from us first, which is not, I'm not knocking that, but some of them got turned down for entry. Some of them um, washed out, you know, whatever. But we can do something. 
I know I can call Minister Malik in Detroit, and he he can he can be like a national spokesperson and voice. If you if you see this man and listen to him talk and his comfortability because he's been doing it for so long is one thing. But if you listen to him, um, I know that he can communicate with all these different walks of life. Um, he's highly intelligent, very knowledgeable about history and culture. Um, I don't know how well versed he is with Hebrews, but I know that um, he knows about Hebrews. You know, maybe surface knowledge. I don't know if he knows anything deep, but that's beside the point. I, I think that um, if he made a call, or if he made a call out nationally, he could talk to all these different people. You see, Umar Johnson. Um, I think he's probably the only real face. Does anybody know anybody else is doing anything like Umar? I mean, I mean, I'm not like Ali Muhammad or Tajik Bay. I, to me, they don't compare to Umar Johnson. Boyce Watkins financial. Oh, Boyce Watkins, yeah, yeah, Boyce Watkins. And Claude Anderson, those two, you know, them those brothers all talk good, but just like you say, the only missing ingredient is the Most High. But they do have uh, some good, important information for brothers and sisters. I yield. Claude Anderson, he lived in Detroit. Um, I don't know if he's from there, but I know he was there a lot. So we could have direct contact to Claude Anderson, Boyce Watkins. And um, I'm not too crazy about Umar Johnson personally, but um, anybody anybody have any thoughts on Umar Johnson? Um, it's just like falling on the record. This is this is our schedule. I think um, I think he's a very great motivational speaker. Um. But, um, but I mean, I think he falls in line with, you know, a whole lot of brothers who are, quote, unquote, in the conscious community. And, you know, they try to put themselves one way and then they end up, you know, getting caught into all different kinds of things. And I think, you know, you know, with the conscious community, it's so easy to get caught up in a whole lot of different scandals because a lot of those brothers, number one, they don't have a filter. Number two, they don't really have an objective, so to speak. A lot of this stuff is just all over the place. So they're constantly debating about nothing. And I think where a lot of his, you know, credibility, a lot of his credibility kind of, you know, went out the window uh, as of lately because he you know, got involved with a lot of the quote-unquote conscious debates. And, you know, people were looking at him like, yo, you shouldn't even entertain stuff like that. So, you know, we have to link you with the rest of the people who are kind of, you know, uh, who we consider to be, you know, conscious trash, so to speak. Um, Because, you know, 
why are you guys constantly debating? Why are you even getting involved in that? We know that the conscious community, they don't really do a whole lot of nothing, but if you are Umar Johnson and you have a platform where people listen to you, you know, don't don't get involved in stuff like that because it's only going to people make, you know, you're going to only look less credible in the eyes of the people. Um, but other than that, I think, he's a, I think he's a great motivational speaker. Um, you can tell, I'm going to be honest with you, I think uh, the love for his people is there. Um, the will to do good, I think, is there. Uh, I just don't know his motives. Um, he's Pan-African uh, wholeheartedly. But I don't think that would stop him from understanding just the plight of us here in America. I think you need to still kind of work on understanding nationality a little bit more um, so, you know, he can understand we have to operate a little bit more exclusively. That's the only way we can ever really solve a lot of our problems because it's not an international thing. Like this whole thing that's going on is not necessarily international as much as it is us as a nationality lost within a, a you know this country. So I think if he comes to that understanding, I think he'll be in a better mind, mindset, um, and he'll have a little bit more of a focus. I know that I yield. Anybody else? Shalom, Akbanoa, Tribe of Judah. I just want to concur with what the brother, Brother Shedrick just said. He, I think his intentions, especially with that school, mm-hmm. that he wants to uh, start with the youth, those are um, those are honorable, you know, wanting to work with our youth and have a, a, a good program to instill in them how to be successful, and um, how to be entrepreneurs instead of uh, going out and, 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 and just getting a job. But, you know, the um, they took that woman on him, and uh, he lost a little credibility. But, you know, they're going to come after anybody that's trying to inspire the people, so that's just part of the package. I just think with all of them in general, you know, they have good intentions of wanting to uplift our people, and, I, and that's what I love about all of the, uh, the brothers that you mentioned. And there's some sisters out there as well, but they all missing the key ingredient, and that's the most high. And I think that's where we come in. And um, if we can package that uh, and, and and explain that to the people as far as self-governance and um, a theocracy under the most high, and then that's when the finances and the self-defense and building the community and all those other things will fall into place, keeping the commandments. But, you know, that brother... And all of them, you know, they all have some good key points, but they're missing the most high. So that's why it's just like a, a dog chasing the tail. I yield. Anybody else? Anybody got any thoughts on Claude Anderson? I know I travel Judah. <laughs> Now, I love that brother. He got some great books. Uh, white, was it Black, White Wealth, something, one of those. He got two books that are like, um, I got to look it up. I got it on the laptop here. I'll try to remember for the next class. But he goes into the history of um, how the system was set up and the slavery. and white, and, white. And he, 
at, and, uh, and, cr- and credit and, and all those things. So he does a, a phenomenal job of being able to go in and articulate to the people financially the things that we need to do. And he actually got like five building blocks on what we need to do, step one through step five. And and he actually had um, a fish business. I know he tried to start uh, some businesses in Detroit, and he, he went around the country trying to start businesses, but he's having a hard time because brothers won't invest no money. You know, we'll go to the strip club, but we won't get that money up. And um, he he is phenomenal. I listen to him, you know, all the time. And Neely, Neely Fuller Jr. We got some great people out there. We just gotta, they just gotta implement the Most High, and then they'll be, and uh, that'll help unify us and get us on the right track. I was listening to Dr. Boy Watkins last night, and he talked about investing $5 every day, he talked about the stock market, how we can create wealth. But uh, Claude Anderson, man, he, uh, man, I recommend, we, we got a link with that, brother. I yield. Brother Robert? Oh, no, brother. No, I was just uh, asking the brother uh, the name of the book. I think it is it, brother, White Wealth, Black Labor? Yes, that's it. That's it. Thank Toda Hawk. Yes, sir. Ta-da. That's all, brother. My apologies. Uh, no problem, brother. And, and, and Powernomics. The other one was Powernomics. Those two books, we, we man, those books, our children got to read that. Those, and along with the Bible, those three books, I yield. Anybody else? Uh, Shalom. A foreigner record, this is Brother Cedric. If, if quote unquote black people had an elite uh and there was uh there was a meeting about how to social, how to strategically uh dismantle this uh banking structure or this uh, economic structure in this country, he would be part of the elite table or uh, uh, the elite table talk. The brother is, uh, from what I've been able to, you know, gather about the brother, like the brother knows economics. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, just hearing him talk, it's like he sounds he sounds like us, brother. Um, it just would be not... If you can talk about having, you know, somebody who knows economics, that brother knows economics. And I think if anybody was talking about, you know, dismantling uh, economic structure and creating a new economic structure, that brother would be a part of it. I could see him sitting uh, at a meeting dealing with uh, uh, maybe gross domestic products, uh, uh Dealing with, uh, uh, I guess you could say, international economic affairs or something of like that. Just the brother's knowledge about economics is just brilliant. That's what I think about that brother. <laughs> and I yell. I'm only speaking from a political science perspective, so that's when I hear him, I'm just like, he's very fascinating. Um, and I yield.
Oh, did I drop offline? Everyone still there? You're still here. Okay. The brother has a, a black think tank, and I know he was talking about that, and he was saying, you know, the other nation, the other nations, they have think tanks, and Claude Anderson created the only one for us. But he's once again, he talks about how it's so hard for us to uh, unite and support it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that I wanted to uh, mention that as well. Mm. I Uh, a think tank is is just called a think tank, or is it, it doesn't have like some type of uh, yeah, organization? I apologize, I don't know the name offhand, but it, he does have a think tank. I'm gonna look it up, and I'll have it for the uh, next class. But it's a nonprofit, and um, he asked for he asked for donations, and I cannot think of the name of it. I apologize, but I will look it up. For for the next time, I'm, I'm gonna see if I can look it up while we're on the call. I yield. Word. Um, I I got kicked off for some reason. Akalina, are you there? Yeah, Shalom, I'm here. Um, what are your thoughts? I'm I'm asking. I'm not asking it. I'm asking just where are our thoughts on this. Just let me make that clear because uh, personally what I believe um, if there could have been unity amongst them, it would have already been unity amongst them, like all these different people. But there is an approach where you can have people work together. But anyway, what are your thoughts, Brother Lance? Um, well, I mean, as, as far as, uh, as far as Dr. Claude is concerned, I mean, I, I love the guy ever since the first time I saw him on, um, on Hidden Colors, um, you know, just his conviction with what he's, um, saying, you know, a lot of times, you know, folks can, you know, be passionate, you know, it's like control passion and, and, um, you know, they could be very um, eloquent in the way they express themselves, but be completely wrong. But, I mean, that that brother gets it. He really, really gets it. And I never forget the thing that I always, uh, I forget if it was, I think it was a YouTube interview where he was talking about um, the status. And he basically said, you know what minority means? It means loser. You know, and uh, ever since he, ever since I heard that, you know, I've been on this guy's. Um, you know, I've, I've been following this guy. I mean, he's he's great from a standpoint of, you know, stripping away. I mean, pretty much the way he presents the information. You know, I I don't care what walk of life you're coming from. If you got a pulse, and you're you're said you know, African-American, I said black, um, you should be able to identify, you know, with everything that he's saying, irregardless of um, perspective of, or ideology, ideology or idolatry, because it, it, it's pretty much plain, you know, 
we we gotta you know come together and we have to work towards a common goal because you know everybody that's around us is doing it and you know if we don't we don't get wise to this. I mean, we, we, you know, just like you said, we're going to be losers. I mean, we're already losers. It's just at some point you got to stop giving away ground and, and, and taking some back. And, you know, I think, I think the way he presents that just from an economic perspective is very, um, it's very easy to digest. So I yield. Well, I'm asking for the future um, not like right now, but as we start to reach out, do outreach, um, go into the community, the, the thing is, for me, and I'm going to tell you how I, I was I was brought into this thing. It's the same way that we're doing now with Fishers and Men. I, I was trained. You don't go out there and and don't have any remedy for the people. And although most people would say, well, um, that's the white man's homeless shelter or that's the white man's this or that, and we were taught get immediate remedy. Get immediate remedy. And... um, if you can't provide it yourself, find the source of the immediate remedy. And because of that, I'm saying as we do these fishes and men outreach and we actually get out here um, and meet the local people in the neighborhood, we do want to first deal with our own people, of course, whether it's our own people. But, look, I I had to deal with some issues in in the court today with some of the, some of my quote-unquote in-laws, I guess you could say, or whatever, right? I go there. And I've been there before a couple of times, and the Negro woman that works there has the nastiest attitude. It's like I cannot stand having to deal with her. So when you meet people like that, you know, we don't want to deal with those kind of people. But if we meet people that are respectable and, you know, um, going to do things correctly, treat you right, talk to you with respect. We can work with those people. I'm saying if they're social workers or whatever, but I do know we we have to do something to not just go out here and spread the message alone, but provide immediate remedy until we can provide immediate remedy from outside sources until we can provide the remedy from inside. And um, I know my spirit has just been nagging at me to speak in public as far as 
you know, going to churches or setting up um, whatever. Like we did the thing in Boston where we showed the screening. We could set up screenings and, and go there and talk. But it's really, really imperative. And even Liam was telling me, man, we got to get out here and do this. He's been telling me that for a while, maybe like eight months. And um, I feel it too, and I think we need to think about that. Um, Because this is the leading class of the nation, obviously there are some people that are no longer with us or present. Um, I unfortunately want to speak on this particular subject very briefly, which is um, Brother Nathaniel. He just doesn't seem to really be with us anymore. And he hasn't really for a long time. And he doesn't return my calls. Um, And he was our minister of self-defense. But He hasn't been present in this class actively for going on three years. Yes, been three years. And we just have to move on without him. Dealing with him and his brother his two brothers, it saddens me because um, they're a lot of the reason why I was able to continue. But Brother Jesse, many of you probably never even interacted with Jesse. How I've looked at, at this and how I will always look at it, I look at where do I where have I gone wrong and what did I do wrong first. So I'm gonna give you an example of Jesse. Jesse was making a transition, I believe it was to second degree. But I could not there was nobody to take second degree. The ones that were handling the second degree, something happened. I don't know. They just abandoned. I think it was they just abandoned post, which was um, anti-genere. Was it Brother Robert? Who had second degree? Do you remember? Uh, second degree. I don't know. I, I remember. Uh, I know Elias, I think he was doing, what, the first degree, I think Elias was doing? I'm not sure about the second degree. I know Antonio was doing the uh, nucleus with myself at the uh, 1 o'clock class on Wednesdays. Um, The second degree, I can't really remember at this time, brother. I can't either, but um, maybe I was doing it. I don't know, but yeah, Elias, it was Elias and Lynn doing first degree. But anyway, 
when it came down time for that to be done strictly online because there was nobody else to, to nobody else there. It was only two people and nobody to oversee the class. And I told them, let's do it online. So there were problems with logins and I fought that to myself. Um, even if it's not directly something that I did, I mean, you know, it's my responsibility. So I take the blame. Um, login problems, those types of things. And I used I used that often as a parameter for, you know, basically let he who has let he who is without sin cast the first stone, meaning don't be so quick to jump on somebody for, hey, they're not in class this week. If you, Mr. Administrator, screw something up with a login or, or or otherwise. If you understand what I'm saying, it's about a balance there. So that's how I always do that. I always practice that. Look at what I might have done to contribute to somebody going astray. Um, if, it, if I actually have a contribution in it, then I owe it to that individual to have some leniency on their participation. Um, and I've always done that, and I hope to always continue to do that because in law there's there's things that are called harmless, um, where you hold individuals harmless for minor mishaps, and they're just overlooked and thrown out. But if there's a continued pattern of non-participation or whatever, then that's where you have to take a stance. And um, with Jesse, he he's he's not he's not there. He he had some um, he had some issues with court. He was fighting the case, and he was the, he was here all of the time. Um, he did appeals and all this stuff, and I was helping him every step of the way. Once that was done, um, haven't heard from him. I've talked to him. Uh, he's talked about, hey, I'm sorry I haven't been in class or whatever, but he has not been here, and I don't think that he has any real desire to be here. And I don't mean like there's a problem. I mean, like, his mind is not here, so he's not really trying to make the effort. And I feel the same way about Nathaniel. Um, his mind is not here. Uh, it's not something that's in the forefront of his mind. And me knowing the things that I failed on in dealing with whatever in our in our growth, um, timeliness, trying to get things accomplished, um, university issues, whatever it's been, I look at that first. But with Nathaniel, here's where I saw the problem. I, I want to explain this. Nathaniel originally said he, he needed to take a, about a seven-week leave of absence 
to go and study for this trade? Did he need to develop a trade? Okay, fine. I told him, like everybody, Nathaniel, let us know before uh, your leave is up. If you need an extension, reinstate the the leave and tell us another projected amount of time that um, it will take for you to return. Since that time, He's never given a projected return to the best of my memory. But he did return a year later. Now, originally it was supposed to be seven weeks. He did return a year later stating that he wanted to return and become active again. Since that time, the reason why I was lenient on him in the first place is because I felt like he wasn't present when the official notice of this policy enforcement was sent out. Like, I talked to him off the record. So it's not on the record. So there's no evidence of me actually saying, you know, report back in. Hopefully you all can follow me. Report back in before your seven weeks are up. There's nothing on the record to prove it. So I felt like the policy was enforced while he was away, so I owe it to him for me personally failing to put that on policy and enforce it to be lenient on how he's dealt with it. So, I did that. Now, to me, that brought it back to a zero balance where if I made a mistake, I didn't enforce it, did not serve you proper notice, didn't give you due process. If I failed to do that, then the other party deserves lenience in that situation. Now, after he was supposed to have returned, after he said, hey, I'm here, I'm ready to get started. Since that time, nothing has really occurred with him. At the end of last year, I spoke with him and Jesse. They said that they would be able to attend the daytime class, the third degree. Never showed up. Beginning of the year, um, I talked to him, and it wasn't even about class. It was about some other stuff. So, Lynn, do you see what I'm trying to get at here and what I'm trying to explain? Salam. Uh, Yes, sir. I, I see it as... You know, like um, like you should do when out when dealing with our people. Um, you know, you're just making sure that you know to the degree that you can that you're given due process and you're not jumping to conclusions. You're not being 
you know, compromised emotion, emotionally, you know, when dealing with your brothers. Um, you know, you basically want to exhaust um, all your resources, you know, before you make that, uh, you know, that, that, that final decision. So uh, that, that's what I see in it, brother. So I'm not crazy in how I'm thinking about this. You, I mean, if I'm crazy, tell me I'm crazy. Uh, again, I don't see it. I mean, I think, you know, you know, I can just speak from, you know, how I've seen you deal with, you know, everybody. You know, it's not like you show favoritism. And, I mean, with the nation as a whole, I mean, there, there have been some um, – you know, meetings or whatever where it's like, you know, you had to be a little more disciplined, um, you know, as far as, you know, getting the people to understand that, you know, hey, we got to, we got to tighten up, you know, we got to, we got to self-police, um, you know, we got to improve. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, I think that for the most part, um most most of the folks in the nation understand that you know love is not um, always like a a, a touchy feely thing. You know sometimes you have to apply some tough love, but the thing is is um, you know within yourself. I mean you just want to make sure that hey you know what you know this is this is my brother and and I've I've given you know the benefit of the doubt. You know, I've, um, you know, truly um, exhausted um, all of my resources. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's just, you know, doing the others. And I don't think that, um, you know, I don't think that that type of decision, I mean, I say it even, even with, um, <laughs> well, I don't want to put his name out there, but even, even with how we dealt, you know, with, uh, with another brother when, when, when it was obvious that, you know, this guy was like completely, um, he, he, he just did not want to conduct himself in an honorable fashion. You know, he still was, um, afforded due process. So, you know, I, I, I think, you know, just in me observing you and I think, you know, the other brothers can agree to this as well. I mean, you're not the type of individual that jumps to conclusions, and you know when you make these decisions it it always is a is a degree of reluctance because um you know it's you know it's a balancing act, but you know sometimes these things these things have to be done you know it's unfortunate, but um you know the thing is is that you know this is a this is a government you know we're learning to self govern Part of that is being able to, um, you know, make commitments verbally and carry those out. And, you know, the simple fact of the matter is, is that if you're not in a mind state to where you're actually growing to that and taking it seriously, you know, because it's not like it's one incident, it's a, there's a pattern, generally speaking. And when there's a pattern, you got to address that. And, um, you know, the thing is, is again, if, if you're not in that mind state, then, you know, this probably 
at, at, at this time, this probably isn't the right place for you. So, I mean, I can, I can say personally, I don't see anything. I don't see any mistreatment. I don't see any, um, you know, stepping out of line, you know, uh, for lack of a better word. I mean, to me, it, it just seems like, you know, we we got to be men, you know, and sometimes we got to have tough conversations with, you know, with uh, with our brothers. So, I yield. Yeah, and the, re- the the reason I'm bringing it up here is because um, I know that all of us have love and respect for Nathaniel, um, but I don't know <laughs> if you can think back. When is the last time? He's been with us in class on a regular basis. You know, um, we had phone issues last year, and basically, he told me that he, he getting on the classes, his phone is blocked, and anyhow. Robert and Shedrick brought to my attention this three-way calling situation and how it could be a potential breach of security. And what was really shocking about it out of of everything is that that was kind of a wake-up call for me. Like the fact that our diplomatic officer and I'm one of our ministers in dealing with Nathaniel, it came into question, was this possibly a breach of security? So in my mind, that was like really going over in my mind what it took taking place with this individual brother. And I said to myself, Shedrick said to me, what is his status in the nation? And I'm and, and when he said that to me, I was thinking, wow, it's something, this is not right. Because to have to ask that question, I think the question itself speaks for itself. Um, Brother Robert, what are your thoughts? I mean, brother, you know, um, in any endeavor that you undertake, whether it be a business, whether it be a job, whether it be any particular situation, um, it definitely has to be up to that individual to be proactive in a situation such as this. Um, The fact that you've always left the door open for the brother to be able to you know, uh, allow him to come in when he felt that he was comfortable. Uh, he still, uh, it was definitely important for him to uh, definitely provide notices, which is some of the teachings that we learn in these classes to uh, put on the record, and, and particularly the fact that, and, you know, I, I had a little incident myself where um, when I took a leave of absence and I failed myself to uh give adequate notice of my return. So I'm in no way immune from that situation. But, um, you know, when when you deal with a situation such as that, 
it's very important for you to, you know, um, definitely give notice of what it is. And uh, it's actually provide notice. I think, brother, you know, you've been as equitable as you could be um, with the situation. Um, as far as I don't know. I mean, you've been as equitable as you can with the situation, but it has to come from the other party to want to, you know, do certain things. They have to do it on their particular own. So I, I don't think, brother, in any way, shape, or fashion that uh, you're crazy or any of those particular things or any of this is uh, frivolous in any regard or anything like that. I just think that, um, you know, I, I mean, it's just it's a little difficult. It's a touchy situation, but um, so and I yield. I yield on that, brother. You know, brother, addressing the issue of your return. You know, the difference is like I'm saying in law, there are that you can hold people harm harmless to minor things. The difference is, brother, you have been consistent, and we all make a few mistakes, right? But you've been consistent. I mean, you led this class for a while. When you needed time to yourself, you took the time. You didn't lose contact. Um, I spoke with you on the phone, and I said, brother, make sure you come back. (laughs) But... Other than that, it's not like I had any reason to to think that you wouldn't, but you've been consistent. Okay, in this situation, as consistent as you've been, our brother has been inconsistent. And um, that does hurt me to have to address this in front of, in this forum, but, you know, we have to address it. Brother Cedric, what are your thoughts? Forgive me, brother. I was on mute. I was trying to um, get myself off mute. Um, it's, um, it's a very... Um, I don't know how to describe it. I guess it's... it's kind of like one of those situations where, you know, you have to make a hard uh, judgment call about certain things. You know, uh, I think these are one of the decisions that, you know, uh, one of the hardest, uh, you know, conversations we got to have about people that, you know, you entrusted with a charge. Um, And, you know, with so many different, you know, with so many different people coming and then going, you know, and then when you have some of the ministers, you know, being absent the way that they are, you know, the way that they have been is like, you know, we have to come to the, you know, come to a conversation like this where we, you know, you have to make the decision of should he stay or should he go? You know, I would hate to, you know, see the brother go, um, but his actions kind of just show that he doesn't want to be here. So it's like you have to, you know, weigh out 
his actions versus, you know, you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt. And it's like when, you know, the benefit of the doubt is being overshadowed by uh, uh, consistent absences. It's like, oh, well, there goes the benefit of the doubt. Is he just really doesn't want to be here. Um, but then we had to hear that straight from his own mouth. Um, I just think that, you know, I just wish that it was a little bit different. Only thing I keep thinking about is that time when we came back from Detroit, and I remember we had a conversation amongst uh, the brothers who were, who had came, who went to Detroit and then came back, and I just remember you saying that some, I, you know, I want to make the announcement, you know, some of the people that you hear on this line won't be here much longer. And I don't know what you meant at that particular time, but it's just amazing how all of that came to fruition over the past couple of years. And um, it's just interesting how all of this played itself out. Um, Like I said, I wish it was different. I wish it didn't have to come to this. Um, but this is government. And, you know, these are some of the decisions that we will, will we have to make to ensure that we stay, you know, that we stay strong and moving because we need people that are going to be consistent and people who are going to, um, no matter what the circumstances is, we're always going to man the post. Um that's that's what government is. I mean, if somebody abandoned their post and, you know, do we say, oh, the government must stop because that person, you know, that person is, you know, gone? It's like, no. Well, the brain doesn't die or, or the body doesn't start working because the arm is gone. You still have one arm and two legs, two ears, you know, two eyes, a nose, and a tongue. So you can still be able to live, so to speak. But, you know, it does help to have an extra arm, you know. Um, But these are the decisions that governments make all the time. I mean, we shouldn't have, you know, we shouldn't uh, find ourselves uh, absent of that, considering the fact that now is the time where, you know, we're working on resurrecting this government. So those are just my thoughts, brother, and on that I yield. Thank you, brother. And my heart is heavy with with this because that brother has been through a lot of difficult times. He's a, a single parent. Um, you know, he got custody of his daughter. And um, so I understand that he went through a lot of difficulties in trying to just get his personal life together. And that's another reason why I've been lenient on them, um, because of that. Um, because I understand he he's really been trying to get his life together. But this, what it's come down to, where it's at now, um, it's just not the same uh, dedication or feeling anymore that I get from him, um, particularly when he doesn't even return my calls. Um, 
I called him once. He called me back maybe about a week later, about seven days later. I get it. You get caught up in life. All of us go through that. And certainly, you know, I'm not saying that I'm supposed to be important in his life but or anybody's life, but when we're doing government, Usually when I call people, it's really for a reason. It's not just a chit-chat, you know, just for no reason. It's because it's a reason. I know if I speak to Robert, if Robert calls me or Shedrick calls me, it's a reason. It's something we got to handle because I know that in their lives, they're handling their business. I know the same with really everybody here. Um we come to class, we handle our, our business, but if something happens that we need to talk, then we just need to talk. Uh, so I would think that you would be more mindful that we're trying to run government here. So if you get a call from somebody, you know, and you know that it's a call, then you got to check it out. But then I called him again and then no return call. So I called him calls me back like a week later. Then I call him again um, at the start of the semester. haven't heard anything back from him. Um, uh, I want to deal with Azim. Azim, his wife had stage four cancer. And if you can imagine, you definitely are heartless if you kick somebody out of the nation and their wife has stage four cancer. That is just cold. I could not bring myself to do it. Azim also said he works the night shift so he can't be on the call. So I said to him, Keep up online. Make sure you log in. Make sure you review the stuff. I can see when people log in and when they don't. And it's one thing if there's nothing to log in and review at all. Azim has not been active with us in the last three years. He'll pop up every now and then. And the reason why hold harmless, the thing was his wife had stage four cancer. So last spoke with him, his wife had the the cancer was in remission. So she was out of the danger zone. So I said, Zim, are you going to be in class regularly? Yeah. Of course they're going to tell you, yeah. So then brother, well, there's a brother that told me, I'm not going to say who it is, but told me that he was talking to a Zim. And he's talking about he's about to go out and do some classes, teach classes in the community on trust. 
Now, here's my position on that. I'm only going to say a limited amount, but I think everybody here needs to hear this. Azim had done some things that were about to get him thrown in prison in dealing with the um, trust and all of that. So he calls me, and I walk him through it and tell him how to get out of the trouble he was about to really get himself in. He was about to go to prison for some real serious things and dealing with these so-called trusts and negotiable instruments. And I was able to talk some sense into him. And I know that he does not have a functional comprehension on how those things work. But I had gotten a report a couple of years ago from Brother, Brother Robert about Azim's activity on social media and him putting out stuff that is remotely close to the stuff we talk about in class and those types of things. Mixing our stuff with ties Tariq Bay and all this other stuff. And I knew that even back then, I knew he wasn't in the proper state of mind to even be talking about this. So Brother Robert gave him, a, gave him a warning. Brother Robert gave him a second warning. So he had two warnings. But at the time, that's when his wife's cancer kicked in. Now, personally, I just did not have the heart to do that to a brother and address that issue while his wife is dealing with cancer. To me, that would have just been inconsiderate and heartless. After his wife has been in remission, I tried to call him, the phone, picks up, nobody says anything, and hangs up. I called him several times. It just rings, or somebody picks up and hangs up and doesn't say anything. I just feel like it's time for us to move on from Brother Um, He is not in the right mind to be trying to teach anybody anything, especially trying to mix our stuff with somebody else. And it's been clear from day one, you do not have any sanction from this nation to go out here and call yourself teaching anything about anything you learn in this nation. Azim was studying some of this stuff before he got in the nation. So here again, there needed to be some lenience because if if you already had prior knowledge of, of these things and you were already doing these things, 
then it would make sense that you would continue down that path of talking to people about them. But when it comes to confidentiality and then mixing this stuff, you're not supposed to mix this stuff, what we're talking about in this nation, with that other stuff that you've been doing. Because the other stuff is a bunch of garbage anyway, probably. Or maybe not probably, but it just turns out that it was that way. And um, we don't need that kind of confusion or misleading and deceiving people. We're trying to protect the people from all this solemn mythology. Um, R. Kedrick, what are your thoughts? Shalom. Um, I'm truly at a loss as to what to say. But the brother uh, Azim, I, I I have seen for a long time that like uh, brother Robert said, his his material on um, social media is is very prolific. Very. Yes, and um, it does cross the barriers between statutory law, redemption. Um, uh, at some of the things that we've mentioned here at tribes. So when you say that he was that close to going to prison, I could see I could see the reality of that. He doesn't have a full grasp of comprehension of what's necessary. So he was he was going down that rabbit hole full force. Um yes it is time to step off and and, and uh, move away from the road. The, um, nobody can say for sure that the matter with his wife is viable, but to me it sounds like it's not, or never has been. It may have, it may have developed out of thin air when he reached a point of termination that it probably served a the purpose that he did to keep him alive. But his actions here before have shown him to be, uh, how can I say this? Um, we just need to separate. <clears throat> on, brother, on the other issue of the uh, brother Nathaniel, I would truly miss the brother's insight and perspectives on things because um, I really appreciated his perspective. But yes, I did notice that, you know, the reigning of his absences, once I see a brother start to decline in, in activity, I normally say, feel, think that he's on his way out the door. But all of these people going out the door, they're doing it of their own free will and volition. You know, no matter how long it takes or whatever they can cock to make the story go, it's on them. But the thing is, it, it shows itself. You know, as an observer of life, we're going to see it. No matter how much you try to mask it or what you try to do to cover it up or color it up, if it's far, you know, and not 
genuine from your heart, you don't belong here. Because you're going to expose yourself. <laughs> it's going to show. And we're going to see it. No matter how long it takes, no matter how benevolent our administrator may be, the brothers here are perceptive. We will call a spade a spade, and we will see it. the spirit coming when it's coming. Somebody's going to say something. You know, in this form or personally off to the side. But like the brother said, this is government. We need to do what's right, take those steps consistently to keep this ball rolling and to continue growing this nation. And these are those steps and these are those times that we have to take those steps and leave those people behind and move forward. Hell, a day might come when I might falter and fall. And I would expect nothing less from the rest of you. If you see that happen, it's a call to make the appropriate call. So, with that idea. Well, Brother Kendrick, since day one, you've been here, and um, God forbid, because I personally, um, I feel like you are really the lifeline. For me, you are definitely a lifeline. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because uh, you know I've called you a couple of times and said, I just got to vent. <laughs> we got to talk. But, um, you know, any of us are capable of falling off to some greater or lesser degree. And I'm just want this on the record. We deserve to give our people time to make mistakes and shake it off and get their act together. Um, but when it's elongated to such a degree where you're talking about a couple of years have gone by and there's no real effort or desire or, or any display of real interest and commitment in manning your post, then that speaks for itself. Um, but, you know, with those that this has happened with, you know, it is what it is. Let me speak on Antigenaire. Antigenaire was our ambassador at large. He also was went to Detroit, and I did state, I said, listen, I told the brothers, anybody that's here, anybody that made the trip, they're not going to be Everybody you start with are not who you're going to end up with. And I know that from life experience. Um, and the way that it took place, it, was just, it just happened organically. But with Antigenaire, he was supposed to be going to Antigua and um, dealing with the Antigua government and brokering land deals. And one of the things that we discussed about, uh, discussed in our civil diplomacy, uh, Lynn, do you recall him talking about that in civil diplomacy? I I sure do. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, what do you recall? 
Now, I recall him going into detail about how I think he had a family member that was in with the, uh, had a relationship with the ruling party uh, in Antigua, and uh, they were trying to uh, get some face time to actually broker uh, some land deals um, with the with the government at that point in time, and um, and I think for a couple, maybe a couple months, you know, he would report on it like regularly, but then um, you know, as time went on, uh, those updates became uh, fewer and far between. That's my recollection of it. Robert, do you recall him speaking on that civil diplomacy? Yes, sir. I remember uh, that situation too. Uh, just, just touching on just gingerly what uh, Brother Lynn was talking about. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I remember, you know, he would uh, speak on those issues, and I remember that one conversation when we were in Detroit, and I think he had received a phone call that very time, and then you had told him and myself to get together to be able to, uh, you know, uh, you know, see about that situation. And, uh, you know, after that, it would just be a situation where we would show up in the class, and then I would hear little reverberations about it, about uh, them dealing with green technology and other particular projects that he was working on. But after all of that, um, everything else just started fizzling out. Well, let me explain what I was told um, and what the interaction has been with myself, the nation, and Antigenaire. Um, so he, he goes, he says he needed a couple of months off. Um, he said about 30, excuse me, about three months. Um, I, I told him the same thing, but at that time we had implemented on the record that everybody knew. If you're taking a leave of absence, you got to report to admissions uh, department with EMA. So he was clear on this. Um, this is after the first. No, this was during the same time. So he was clear. So by the time that three months were up, he came, reported back. He said he needed more time. So he actually handled it to the best of my recollection. And um, much respect to that. Every dealing that I have ever had with Antigenaire has always been honorable. He was never a troublemaker. Um, he was always in classes. He was always um, teaching the classes in the original beginning when he and um, Robert were overseeing the classes. So all of my dealings that I ever have had with him, nothing that I could say was ever out of place or anything like that. He was a solid brother from day one all the way up until the time where all of a sudden now we didn't hear from him anymore. 
So, after some time, when he didn't make the second report, I waited, I don't know, maybe about five months or so. Um, tried to contact him. And then, let me see, this might have been 2015. Yeah, 2015. Um, this was going towards the end of 2015, I think. Did not speak with him until maybe, this might have been 2015, beginning actually. Yeah, I think it was, because it was after we came from Detroit. So we're talking about the beginning. Yeah, this is the beginning of 2015. So spoke with him January 2015 via email. Um, he said he would be back soon. Didn't hear anything back from him for a long while. I asked Ema to contact him. Um, I spoke with him again via email. He was like, man, I, I needed more time. I need more time. Uh, I want to come back soon. He's friends with two of the brothers in the nation, Gavin and Trevon. He brought both of them into the nation, and they have been in contact with him um, on a regular basis. And from what Gavin told me, because Antigenera had progressed in the degrees. Gavin told me he would ask him about different stuff, and he would say, "No, I can't. I can't discuss that. You haven't gotten to that degree in the nation yet, so I can't give out that information." So the things always seemed like he was remaining honorable, except for failure to report a return date. So then. After the beginning of January 2015, didn't hear from him at all the rest of the year. Didn't hear from him that I recall in 2016. No, I did talk to him late 2016. Which was through Trevon. Trevon was getting on his case, like, man, what you supposed to be in the nation? What are you doing? Da, 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 da. And um, Trevon got him to, to give me a call. So I spoke with him. He was like, yeah, man, I want to come back to the nation. I'm still dealing with the stuff in Antigua, but it's just like. Everywhere else, he's like, we're doing government business, but it's, you know, they're, they're niggers. They just, they just act like niggers. And wherever there's niggers, there's drama and problems and confusion and all of that. I didn't speak to him about coming back into the nation. I let him talk about it. I didn't mention anything to him about where I personally stood on it um, because I know that he understood the basics. Now, one thing he did tell me in these emails, this is before I suspended the emails, so this is two years ago. But one thing he did tell me um, was 
he had fallen on some hard times economically. He felt very guilty about being in the nation and not being able to pay dues. So that was one of the reasons that um, he has, has not been in class and been active. But after a year or so of not talking to him and um, Trevon getting on him about being involved and talking to him, obviously he had to be removed. He removed himself, but we had to officially make that call. And under that circumstance, like I said, he was a good, solid brother all the time he was with the nation, never did anything shady or anything like that. He was just a, a normal, committed brother. And um, I, I thought to myself, okay, he's over there. Well, what he did say to us was he was over there doing some land deals uh, also to build hotels because Antigenere, well, as a as a broker, a mortgage broker, um, and he was over there doing some deals that were involved um, building hotels and all these different things, and that he wanted to get the nation um, some land interest where we would get plots of land over there in Antigua, and he was even going to put us in direct contact with the 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 leaders of Antigua. And, you know, we basically never heard from him again. So ultimately the decision had to be made to remove him. So that was not such a difficult decision because it was clear he wasn't in contact. Nobody had heard from him. Um, it was just clear, mission in action, no reports. So I spoke to Ema and I said, it's time to remove him off of the roster. And, you know, we don't want to leave a record of him doing anything bad to the nation, but we have to have a record of the circumstances that lead it up to his departure or inactivity in departure, but we can't have an ambassador that is not even talking to us. <laughs> so, you know, Art Bernard, what are your thoughts? Shalom, man. You know, heavy heart. Can't hear you, brother. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Okay. To uh, hear about you know brother Nathaniel being gone three years and and uh, Antajanir gone three years and we got other members that's missing in action. You know, you we trying to build something and I I want the guy next to me. I gotta know that he has my back, you know, because I definitely have his back and we got your back. That's why we showing up every week because we love this nation and we committed to this nation and we know there's a bigger picture than, you know, than us. And I know you guys, I, I recall you saying something about a, a inactivity policy where if you 
if you've gone three months or something, if you don't have nothing in writing, then you, you know, you're pretty much out of here. So I don't know. There's a, it's like almost a, I don't know, a lack of respect. I mean, I know we all got life issues. I've definitely had my ups and downs being in this nation. I've been homeless and, I mean, multiple times and, and not having money to pay dues. And I still came up with a few dollars to pay dues. So, it's like life circumstances, that's part of the package. I mean, we just have to face that. But showing up here every week because we're trying to learn something, we're trying to build something, I mean, that that's something we, we either committed to it or we not. So for those brothers to be gone a month or two months, three months, but, I mean, two, three years, ain't returning your phone calls, that boils down to a lack of – that's a respect thing right there. So that that, that bothers me. And, you know, just to – you know that's why I I, I I I that's one of the things I love about you. You're a fair brother. You're compassionate. You got empathy. That's what makes you a, a good a good leader. And you know the, the elders that taught you they instilled some good qualities. And and I'm I'm praying that that rubs off on all of us. But keeping in mind, two three years and you're not here. You're not calling. I'm calling you and you're not calling me back. Man, that's a problem right there. So we need to, I don't know if we need to type up some notices or send out, man, you, you report to duty. Uh, man, you let me know what's going on. We got to send those out. You guys got to let us know what y'all, are you in or are you out? We need to know that so we can, so we can know what our position as a nation because this information that you have, that, you know, it, we got important information that it just can't get in the wrong hands. You know, just like the bro- the brothers bringing up the three-way phone calls and the little trickery right there, we got important important information that the Most High has given us a charge, and we got responsibilities, and we need to know that every man that's lacing his bootstraps up, we got each other's back. And if you're not there, then, man, okay, peace. You got, okay, we'll see you later. So we, we got to find out their position. We got to find out are they in, are they, are they out, because, Man, I mean that's a respect thing, brother. Just not, just not calling, not communicating, not letting you know either way. That boils down to a respect thing. So you know, we 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 gotta we gotta nip that in the bud, cause that 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 just you know just hearing just hearing that stuff and and what I've been through. Man, I've been sleeping in the back of cars and calling in the class. I've been going to blood banks and giving up money, paying that twenty one fifty, and you ain't got no money. Man, come on, man. That man, come on, man. You better get out there and collect the scan. I mean, that 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 bothers me. So, I'm man. Everybody on this call right now showing up every week. Once in a while, you may have a hiccup in life, but man, we here. So it boils down. To the... Man, that, that, that bothers me. I yield. Yeah, um, it bothers me also, but, you know, one thing that I have learned, and thank you for the kind words, sir, one thing I have learned is you got to always remember, like I was taught, um, you have to give your people some leeway. They haven't um, conducted themselves in in a governmental capacity or in any type of organized capacity for these type of principles. And um, so they, you have to give them some leeway. But, 
you know, part of it was I was trying to um, educate Ema on how to to deal with admissions, um, and we had a sister Ruth that was an assistant, and then she took a leave. Uh, she's been going through some difficult times, but I I at least talked to her. You know, she calls me uh, periodically. I mean. I just talked to her maybe uh, the end of last week. So uh, I, she calls. I talked to her. We discussed things. So she's she's staying connected. But you know, unfortunately, um, I know that I've extended as much as that I, I, beyond something that's fair for these brothers. Um, we just have. We've just been more than fair. I know I've done my best to be more than fair, um, but we got to move on. And um, I'm also bringing this up because speaking about dealing with policing our own communities, and uh, educating our people on how to deal with that. And um, Bernard bringing up the article that, or the court case um, about what Nathaniel brought. I mean, brilliant brother, has contributed a lot of good information. He he was there in the ranks when, when, when Michael flaked the hell out. Um, Nathaniel stepped up, went on the radio with me, teaching classes. He was so it's really it's really hard. Like that really hurts because the things that he's done have all been positive. But when it comes to where he is now, it just doesn't seem like he's uh his mind is not there. So um, and it is, in my opinion, disrespectful because, bottom line, everybody has life problems. And that does not mean that that justifies you in not manning your post. It just, there's no excuse for it. In, if anything, the more problems you have, the more you should be involved, <laughs> if anything. Everybody needs their time and space to clear their head. We do. We need grief, grieving time when there's a death in the family. I've had this happen in my life. I haven't had any time off. There are people that have never taken time off. That doesn't make us better because we haven't, but I'm saying if somebody else can do it where they haven't taken time off and go through the hells of life, then that means there's no excuse for those who do this these things. That's my point. But um, we want to help our people and help the community, and we're not going to be able to do that and help the people to police 
themselves and the community. And our Minister of Self-Defense is is AWOL. And that's literally, lawfully AWOL, absent without a leave of absence. So the other point is we have sent out notices. We have sent out notices. Um, the 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 brother Tim uh, Bernard, the guy that you that you brought in, Tim. He wanted to come back. He was gone. He wanted to come back. Um, he said he was ready to come back. Ema sent out notices to him. No response. So it shows us where our people are. But nature allows it so that you give people the benefit of the doubt, you allow us to make mistakes, allow us to reflect, get our act together, um, and then even getting our act together, acknowledging that we made mistakes and correcting them. But when you're not even doing that, then, you know, it speaks for itself. So anyhow, this was very important to me for us to discuss. Um, I discussed further our ID, license plate, and I'm gonna post that for next week, so we can do. I'm gonna post that in the university, um, so that we can review that during this week and next week. We want to talk about that here because it's very, very important. This is a major step, particularly with where what's going on in the U.S. Um, how we're able to finally start getting some things working fluently, and um, as long as we handle our offices and departments and we continue and, and there's no failure there, then we're going to get to our goals uh, sooner than later. You know, we, we're really making progress, particularly with this help desk, with this um, with the uh, real estate, it's going to really, really help. We've been, we were doing stuff last year and we were getting responses doing mailings and getting responses and talking to people but then the the winter months came the holidays came and that's not a good time mostly to try to uh purchase real estate so i needed a break mentally we all needed a break so we're just getting back active in the real estate but we're doing good. We're, we're making progress. So thank you all for being here. We can adjourn for the day. Please have a pleasant evening. Slop. Slop.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.